Uh, do you want to bring it in or you want me to bring it in? You bring it in. All right. Well, I got a burp coming on. Do it, do it. Ah, <sighs> oh, that was a spud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. <laughs> Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. And welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 50. 50. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with old Scott Gardner. Oh, 50. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Good. A whole new month kicking off. Oh, my God. I just got to thinking that uh, even though as we record this, it's... It's still uh, March. By the time this one's coming out, it will be officially into April. And oh my God, does my wife hate April? Because you know, April Fool's Day. This is this is a podcast. It's not coming out on April Fool's Day, I don't think. But it's right around that time. Oh, Monday, 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 April first. Yes. So April. Oh, really? We should have come up with some crazy April Fool's intro about something. Oh man, what idiots we are. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we we totally should have. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh well, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll think of it. Well, you know, part of my intro is actually probably going to almost sound like an April Fool because. Uh, well, before I get into that, do you do you do you have anything for? Uh... Well, I do know that you've got a little extra stuff this month, and we got a little so- somewhat Star Warsy news, even though it's kind of old. Because as we were discussing before we started recording, Scott and I seem to record our Star Wars Monthly Mondays, and then the day after, something (laughs) Star Wars news happens. Yes. For the last several months, I think that this has (laughs) happened, and so by the time the next recording comes around, it's been basically a month since that big news, and then we forget to talk about it. So, it yeah, this feel like is... like big news anymore. It, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, everybody else has talked about it, and, you know, we continue to get, you know, messages and PMs and things and Facebook and what, you know, with people wanting to know our opinions or, or worse yet, saying, oh, I'm sure this will be discussed on the next Star Wars Monthly Monday, and then it's not, you know, because it was already recorded before you know news x happened or whatever so 
there's a there's a couple of those subjects out there that you know we definitely want to talk about. But real quick, uh, just to explain what I was saying about March, though, the reason my wife hates March, or excuse me, April rather, is because uh, you know everything happens in April. You know, you got uh, of course the tax man's already been tax paid month. for this year, so yep. that that's done. But uh, you know, Scotty's birthday's on uh, on the 11th, mine's on the 12th, and then Logan's is on the 20th, and there's some other ones in there too. I want, I think her dad is in there and I forget. There's like all these different things going on in April. So April's just like a busy, busy, busy month for, uh, for our family and for my all wife. April, all you April so. birthdays should all just like cancel each other out. Just all get together <laughs> and be like, yeah, put it, put, ha- have a fund and all of you put like, Thirty dollars into it, and then you all take yourselves out to dinner or something, <laughs> and that takes care of April's birthday. That was June in my family. Everybody's birthday was in June in my family. Well, my wife reminds me every year that you know Scotty, my my oldest boy, was born on the eleventh, which was the day before my birthday. So she, as she likes to point out every single year, I'm done for your birthday. You know, I, I this was it. <laughs> you know, I, this was your birthday present. You know, but no, that's awesome. But uh, gosh, where to begin? Well, you know, real quick, the the rumor thing, you know, the the things we were talking about news wise was. Uh, the, probably the two biggest ones that I can think of off the top of my head that seemed like we just missed them happening, and they've been kind of the the talk of you know Facebook and such was uh, uh, Clone Wars. I guess has been officially canceled. So wherever they're at right now, you know this is going to be it. This this season wraps it up. Which it's season five, so it's it didn't really come as a big shock to me because well for one full disclosure I haven't been watching the show. I got to be honest, um, but typically I don't watch it as it comes out anyway. I'll typically catch it, you know, in clumps. Um, you know, I'll watch it. Well, how I've been doing it, I think the past two seasons, what I did was I I started watching it, and then, you know, I just get... It's not like any diss on the show. I just get busy. I really don't follow any TV shows regularly right now. But I wouldn't get caught up on Clone Wars until Star Wars Weekends was about to happen. And I knew that they would premiere the next, or not premiere, but preview rather, the next season at Star Wars Weekends. And so in order to understand the preview, I would cram for the prior season that I hadn't seen yet. So I'd be all caught up and I'd know what was going on. I'll probably still do that, but uh, it's going to be disappointing this time around that I don't know what they're going to do for Star Wars Weekends because you know the the last several years that really has been the focus of Star Wars weekends has yeah, been but Clone Wars you know this will be the first Star Wars weekends under the Disney banner under yeah. Disney yeah. I mean yeah there's there's I'm sure they'll have plenty to talk, to um talk about and to you know they as we're saying they're dribbling out stuff monthly now Star Wars weekends yes there might be some great announcements on those though though Star Wars weekends might have Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill <laughs> show up. That would be so, awesome because you're like, "Hi, we just signed the contract to do to do this and that or no." I'm not could, saying that could would happen. happen, but things like that could happen, you know. They're going to they're they're planning out the publicity of this and they're planning to make sure these movies are big successes 
they'll use Star Wars Weekend to to their advantage, you know. It definitely could happen because, and, and this might sound like kind of a, a laughable statement, but but see if you, you follow where I'm going here. Already, Star Wars Weekends uh, for this year has ramped up a bit from prior years. You know, the the, the and I, by prior years I mean the last several years because once again this year the two hosts that have been announced so far are Ray Park, who was Darth Maul, and uh, Warwick Davis, who was Wicked the Ewok. Now, it might sound really funny to to think that that's ramping up, you know, Darth Maul and, and Wicked, but at least they're movie characters. You know, they were, they were in uh, the Star right. Wars saga as far as the live-action films, and not just characters from, you know, voice characters from Clone Wars. And that's not to... <laughs> Either way, way, you're not gonna. Either way, you don't actually see them. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. But uh, you know, I'm excited about that. So, and of course, so far those I believe are the only two that have been officially announced. Now you watch; they'll they'll release the entire you know rest of the schedule tomorrow. You know, just so that we'll we'll look untimely or whatever with this. But uh, of course, the other big news, and I I don't know that it really is news yet. I think it's still relegated. To rumor at this point is of at least the big three, Luke, Han, and, and Leia, you know, Mark Hamill, uh, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford coming back. I heard to... Carrie Fisher said she was kidding when she said it. So she 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 had said something like, I just signed the paperwork, but then she went and, and said, oh, that was just a joke or something like that. So I don't know. What do you think? What What's your gut tell you? My gut says you need you would need a good story to work. My gut says don't put them in there just to have them in there because then it's going to be like a guest appearance, you know, say like when they do a revamp of a movie and the actors who played their roles you know, on the original TV show that the movie's based on or have similar and they sort of trot them out there. That would be really bad. I hate when they do that. Right. I'm going to say it over and over again. Carrie Fisher looks awkward. We could have a matronly Princess Leia. But I just don't picture Princess Leia smoking space cigarettes for 25 years. And right. get that voice. You know, it's just... It's just Did it, you see it, the it might awesome- be a hard sell. Did you see the awesome picture on Facebook? I, I don't have any idea who I saw post it, but it's been making its rounds. It's a, a, a shot through the front window of the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, so looking into the cockpit. Yes. And it's Han, old Han, sitting at the controls, and in the background is aged, fat, saggy Leia in her bikini, you know, her, her Jabba the Hutt Palace bikini. And it's just like, oh, Grandma, put some clothes on. You know, it's just disturbing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could see her as a sort of Mon Mothma kind of character. Yeah. You know, but there's, unless they, unless you come up with a really good reason for them to be in the story, it's going to feel like they're just getting trotted out. So I hope that they, Harrison Ford is up to the, and I think Mark Hamill is, uh, they're all up to the acting job. Harrison Ford's an extremely good actor, so he'll be able to pull off old Han Solo no matter what. He'll be able to 
put his personality in it, and and so will Mark Hamill, and but it's I don't know. It has a feel of of Christmas of holiday special <laughs> to a, a warning sign. Yeah, I, I'm thinking it. it's got it's it, it it has that warning sign, and I, I hate to keep ripping on it because I. Although I'm not a fan, I'm not a hater either, but it, it, I'm I'm seeing those crystal skull warning signs. You know what I mean? And so that worries me, but I liked Crystal Skull a lot though, and but um I don't think Star Wars would would I would be as kind as Star Wars being at the cuz Crystal Skull has you know, I thought Harrison Ford pulled off old Indiana Jones Old Marion was a little awkward. I don't know if she's done acting in a long You're time. You're right. Yeah, she you was know, very it had awkward. That, it had that yeah. awkward trotting out. It's like, hey, it's Karen Allen. Hey, look, guys, we got Karen Allen. Right. You know, so so that was one of what I thought was, and and that's totally what what could happen. See but what, you know, I don't think it, it, like in if it was going to be Crystal Skull, like they would be the focus of the story. And I don't think it's going to be an adventure, you know. I don't think I don't think any like Harrison Ford. The the fact that if if they can get Harrison Ford to be in it, they told him something that's going to make that you know makes him think it's going to be okay because he's been absolutely not since Jedi. He wasn't really that happy about doing Jedi. You know, right. so so to get him back would be a good sign, at least as far as you know, he's not desperate for work. But at the same rate, <laughs> you know, he may not be desperate for work, and I've never really thought of him as, you know, one of these guys that'll just take any assignment. But you know, you you write a check with enough zeros on it, it'd be hard to turn it down, even if he doesn't care the least bit about really doing it or not. Yeah, but it's also something he's been vocally against right. for the longest time. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, you know, briefly, if it if it has to come down to a simple thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm going to have to be honest and say thumbs down. Because, you know, like you say, you got the Christmas special thing, you got the the crystal skull thing. I hate to be ageist, but I just don't want to see elderly you know, the elderly Star Warriors out there doing their thing. But oddly enough, the biggest thing that really made me say, no, I don't think this is a good idea, was, again, this is all rumor, all speculation, but there's been that news story circulating that one of them, and I want to say it was Mark Hamill, was saying, I'll only do it if you get the old gang back together. Meaning, essentially, if, if everybody's in, I'm in. But I'm right. I'm not really interested if you don't get everybody. I think that's a big mistake mm. because, and again, I will profess my ignorance right up front when it comes to the EU. But I know one of the few things I do know about the EU is that Chewbacca has been dead now for what? At least a good decade. And there's no way that you're going to bring back the old gang and not have Chewbacca there because the average Joe on the street Star I, Wars fan that has I gotta tell you, I think they're gonna ignore dead Chewbacca. I think they'll ignore dead Chewbacca. Exactly. And I, I kinda think that that's a mistake because up till this point, 
I think more than likely what they could have gone, I don't know that this is what they were going to go for, but I think what they could have gone for was a new set of stories that neither um, acknowledges or disregards the the EU, where they, they make a story that with a little bit of mental gymnastics, you could either make it fit if you're a fan of it or you could completely ignore it if you if you don't even know it exists you know what i mean and 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 they would kind of play to both sides but when you get something like this that's going to involve all these principal characters from the original <laughs> trilogy if you're going to go that route there's no way they can make that and not throw chewbacca in there dead chewy could add some some flavor to han solo though it could, but, I mean, but honestly, do you see them do it? Because then you'd have to explain it, you know, and you'd have, I think that you would no, have, you just have to have a line or two, you know, just a, you know, and ever since, you know, I mean, hey, hey if you if, know if how Han and Leia are married and stuff, it would be kind of weird to have Chewie hang it, you know, Chewie probably was like, all right, <laughs> see, yeah, Chewie eventually had know. to go back to Mala and you know how fandom works. So you know that there would be legions of... It could be the awesomest movie ever, but there's still going to be legions of people that are going to walk out of that movie at the end, and their big piece of comment is going to be, I loved it, but, man, I wish Chewbacca had been in there. Why, why did yeah, they do it? You know, and they'll focus if, on if, that. Yeah, but if, and then if you do have a live Chewbacca, there's going to be a contingent of them walking out going, Chewbacca's supposed to be dead. And mm-hmm. you, I think it would have been better if he was dead and they continue as a nod to the East. So you can't win. You exactly. can't win. Any, you know, if you, if you pay attention to what the fans want, nobody lives and dies and everybody has to live <laughs> right. and die. So you have to do all these alternate reality right. movies or something if you wanted to make everybody happy. So, Which was actually a discussion I had with somebody at work today, oddly <laughs> enough, discussing kind of the same type of thing. And that was... That was his idea. He's like, what do you think of this idea? And I I had to remain diplomatically... It's a good idea for a comic. Yeah, for a comic book universe or for Star Trek, I think it's not such a bad idea. But for Star Wars... I don't want them to spend the money on a movie for a story that's an alternate universe. Right. I just had a thought about why I think the old folks probably shouldn't be cast. When they were cast originally, they were cast for the part. And now if you bring them back, you're going to have to tool the parts for them. Right. And that's just not going to make for good part, good roles, you know? Right. Instead of just coming up with a role that suits the story, you're going to have to jigger things around to explain Carrie Fisher's voice. You know, I was working on the volcano planet for... <laughs> screwed up my vocal cords or something you know i don't right. know well by the time you're hearing this episode i will have found the uh the time and the wherewithal to uh get our uh, massive megacon wrap-up show all put together and uh and released so you you will have heard that by now so hopefully with that being the case I uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do just want to mention, went to MegaCon, it was freaking awesome, and it had some Star Wars connections that uh, you and I have not actually had a chance to talk at all since uh, I got back from MegaCon, so I wanted to lay this one on you, because I know that you are unaware of this. 
I got to talk to Jeremy Bullock. It was Boba Fett, the the real Boba Fett. It was just so cool to get to talk. He was very, very gracious. And uh, and he introduced me to the guy that actually played Greedo. And uh, and Dave Prowse was there. I, I only got to just basically just shake hands and, and just, you know, brief little hey, how you doing kind of thing with Dave Prowse. But uh, really, really cool. But actually got to... To, to carry a conversation, actually carry on a little bit with uh, with Jeremy Bullock. So that was a thrill. Okay, that was going. so cool. Okay, so we are here at Megacon 2013, and uh, I am going to speak with uh, Mr. Boba Fett himself, Mr. Jeremy Bullock. It is a pleasure to meet you, sir. Well, it's lovely to be here. We've got a little bit of tannoy noise in the background, but that means that it's a lively show and it's all happening. So, no, it's lovely to be here. I was here <clears throat> two years ago. Uh, nice to be back. Now, we were speaking before, um, <laughs> my recorder, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what exactly happened with this thing. Well, the force, the, me, the force was using its great force <laughs> to, to block everything out. So. <laughs> it seems like it. So we were talking about the weather and how it's uh, so much nicer here than... Uh, yeah, than we, I mean, I think everybody it. talks about the weather. The British <laughs> are well known for saying, a little bit cold out today, isn't it? Ooh, maybe a spot of rain. That's the n- normal <laughs> chat, but... We've been here, my wife and I, for a, a week, so we've had about three or four days just acclimatizing to the wonderful sunshine. We had a bit of a dodgy start when we arrived, but we came from snow into this warmth here, so well, it's lovely. It's excellent. Now, we spoke about uh, Star Tours, and, and it, was a, it was a thrill and a, and a geek out for me to find out that you're just as excited to get the Boba Fett sequence of oh. uh, Star Tours as I am. I had to do that. I mean, you've got to... Someone said, well, where do you go? I said, well, no, you go on the Star Tours, and then you sit down. And if you're lucky, there are many bits and pieces which are different. Right. Suddenly, you, I said, yes. I finally, after ten goes, I saw Boba Fett <laughs> sitting down in Star, Star Tours. It's great. Now, they say it's completely random, but I wonder sometimes if, if there's not sequences think, that are more well, rare than others so that yeah, we have that reaction. Yeah. I, I think you have that reaction, but I think they purposely put me up there on one when they knew I was sitting down there. I think they can manipulate it. You think so? I think so, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm wrong. but Excellent. So, uh, do you get a chance to actually get out on the con floor and wander amongst people here? Uh, or? Well, yesterday, Friday, was very busy. Uh, here, uh, yes, you do get around. You go and see some of the artists, you know. You go and see the wonderful Five O First guys who are building amazing. Isn't that awesome? Stories. It's just incredible. So you you do get a chance to flip around. But then Saturday, here we are. We've got a long way off before people come in, and then that's that's the time where you probably won't have the time at all. Yeah. Now, are you able to kind of move amongst the, the folks here? Or is yes, it a you constant can. being yeah, stopped no, and going, can. oh my God, Boba Fett? I mean, we thing. did Paul Blake, myself, Dave Prowse. Uh, we did our talk yesterday with a, a really good crowd. And we had a chat and, you know, they asked questions. So we did that yesterday. So we're much freer today, although you're hoping it's going to be a lot of people here. So right. we might not have time to walk around. But if I, if I do, I'll, <clears throat> I'll get, get moving. Historically speaking, Saturday is the day, so oh, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I they, anticipate yes. quite the crowd. Saturday is the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't keep you, but I, I just well, wanted to say again, it's such well, a pleasure let, to meet you. Let's it works. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm going to check it and make sure, but thank you so much. I would have been to Dave Prowse, loved in Clockwork Orange. <laughs> and I tell you, if, if, if like two big burly guys from security had come up and thrown me out on my ass at that point, 
the con still would have got made for me. It. You know what I mean? That that was it. That was that was all I needed. Now were Scotty just... and Logan with you during that part? They weren't allowed on the con floor, um, so they were actually um, outside queuing up, basically, and uh, you know, and getting pictures and that sort of thing. So I was on the con and floor. You're like later losers. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so, but it was cool. Dad's got important press work to. Dad's got to go talk to Boba Fett. So it was pretty cool. So as soon as that was all over, you know, I went and met back up with them. I was telling them all about, it, and they were like, "Oh, that's so cool." But uh, also Star Wars related. I got to meet our uh, our good friend and recent guest of the show, Bob McCloud, was there, and I finally oh. got to meet him and shake hands with him. He was very very nice, really nice guy he was to talk really nice to. On the and, show, oh too. yeah, he was fantastic and uh, and had really good things to say about having been on the show and everything. So that was really cool. Um, I got him to sign the issue that we spoke to him about um, when he was on the show. It was uh, Star Wars number eighty six. So I now have that signed by the artist Bob McCloud. I also had him sign issue number 88, which was the first appearance of uh, Lumaya. Mm-hmm. And I had actually taken this for a completely different reason, but going way, way, way back in our show, uh, you know, we remember back in Star Wars number 17, Yikes. that was that flashback story of Luke as, you know, a slightly younger kid on Tatooine, you know, flying his Skyhopper and all that, you know, that story with him and Biggs racing Skyhoppers. I had taken this because that issue was written by Chris Claremont, who was there at Megacon. So I actually got it signed by Chris Claremont. But when I dug the issue out, it uh, struck me... Uh, looking at the cover again, that the cover was actually inked by Bob McCloud. So I got it signed by both of them, by Chris Claremont as the writer of the issue, and then Bob McCloud as Excellent. the uh, the inker of the of the because re- I've always really liked the cover on that issue because it's really cool. It's uh, you know Luke, somewhat similar still to like Luke the Barbarian, but not quite right. as you know not quite as long hair barbarian looking but it's still a really cool like action hero you know cover on it with him with his han solo laser pistol being attacked by uh by tuscan raiders but it's just a great cover really good issue and it was uh really a thrill to meet him and uh, and plus get to talk to uh, chris claremont who uh he was probably the most um talkative and and really willing to just he didn't care about the line you know, when you were there talking to him, you were talking to him, and he didn't care how long yeah, someone else had to talking to people. Till he, he would was just talk to you. And then yeah. go to the next one, and whoever, however many he got, he got to exactly. And so I, I got to talk to him a little bit about his work on Star Wars, and uh, you know, to to hear that, you'll have to listen to the MegaCon wrap up show because uh, it was it was actually really interesting. He had some good things to say about basically why hadn't he done more Star Wars. Chris Claremont had also written Star Wars Annual Number One, which uh, is coming up for coverage on our show. We're finally going to be getting to that one eventually. So when we get to that, I'll be kicking myself and knew that I didn't get it signed. But you know, there's always next year. And he also wrote the stories that are in the uh, the collected book, the uh, Marvel Illustrated book, Star Wars Two: World of Fire, which uh, eventually we'll be covering as well. So I wanted to get him signed, but like I say, I just didn't want to lug any more comics than I absolutely needed to, and I already was taking so much stuff. When's Claremont coming on? You know, I would like to do that, but I get the distinct impression, and, and again, you'll have he's to hear a busy the... Man. Well, he's a busy guy, but also I I got the impression that 
you know, for him it was just, eh, it was a one-time gig kind of thing and not really interested. You know what I mean? Like, like he's neither proud nor ashamed. It was just something he, he did and moved on to the next project. You know what I mean? So he was a funny guy. He He's very... Um, well, just because... Well, we'd have to get him on this show. <laughs> That's true. We could have fun with him on Comics Monthly Monday, let me tell you. He's yeah. done everything. And he strikes me as a guy that will pretty much say exactly what it's on his mind, and that's what I really like. That would be fun, yes. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun, because he, he, didn't, he didn't pull any punches and he didn't hold back. I liked that. It was very refreshing. But uh, a, a really fantastic time, and like I said, go in, uh, and seek it out if you hadn't heard it, because uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, appreciate the support from everybody that uh, knew I was going and, and helped facilitate everything, so... But that's pretty much all I've got for preamble. Uh, you you want to take a little break and then dig into the, the books proper here? Okay. Sounds oh. good to me. All right. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Instruction sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Spock in his hand. Every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at two true freaks. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 50. And we are coming to the end very rapidly of the Marvel Star Wars run. Uh, which ends famously or infamously at 107. We are at 103 now. And yeah. with the synopsis of this issue, will be Scott Gardner. No. Yes. It reminds me. I'm really glad that you said that the way you said it because it reminds me of something I did mean to, to mention real quick. We are, as Chris says, rapidly approaching the end of Marvel Star Wars. When we get to episode 107, or excuse me, issue 107... 
that episode, we will only be covering issue 107. The rest of that episode, what we have planned is a massive, like, celebration, look-back kind of episode. And what we want to do is basically, the, the way I'm envisioning it is I would love to have a whole slew of questions as far as and I, I want everything to be in threes like okay the top three what are your top three favorite issues top three favorite characters top three least favorite characters that sort of thing i want to get a whole slew of questions together not only have i been racking my brain and writing down questions like crazy so that we have a whole bunch of them stored up for this thing i'd like you guys to participate you know so write into us you know and please use the email write in um, you know, our email address is two true freaks at gmail.com. Have your header be something, you know, Star Wars related, you know, Star Wars Monthly Monday questions or, you know, something like that, something related to Star Wars. So I know, you know, so that they distinguish themselves from all the other emails and spam and everything else that we get so that I, I can find them and, and compile them and, and we'll throw them in there. And uh, I, I really want it to be a, a massive uh you know, just a massive celebration of the series as a whole and, and us really looking back and really racking our brains. You know, what were our favorite stories? What are the characters we just couldn't stand? That sort of thing. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. That's that's kind of the way I'm I'm hoping that uh that episode comes together. So anyway, Star Wars number one oh three. This is the January nineteen eighty six cover dated issue. This was actually on sale According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this was on sale uh, October 15th, 1985. This is the last monthly issue of Star Wars. And, you know, it was only today that I uh, that I, I read that somewhere and, and went and I did the homework on it. And sure enough, that is true. I don't know that I even noticed that as a kid. I don't remember that, yeah. I, I really I don't recall, but I, I don't think I did just because by this point I was buying so many comics and really into comics and back issues and reading constantly, you know, that sort of thing that I don't know that I really even noticed it. But that does contribute to why 107 is so expensive and very hard to find because by this point, you know, with them going um, bi-monthly also that means that the readership had fallen off greatly so the print runs weren't as big so that's why those uh, final couple of issues are so scarce anyway um, original cover price on this one is 65 cents also I just want to point out that uh, once again we get a new cover box on this one you know the up in the upper left hand corner marvel at this time was doing a little like iconic piece of artwork you know representative of what the story was or what the characters you could find in the book whatever this one features uh princess leia holding up her uh, her blaster this is the first and only time that this particular cover box was ever used on the series cover on this is by uh cynthia martin and steve leia loha it depicts princess leia being uh held by a nagai as he's pressing a, a knife to her throat and it's uh it's an interesting cover uh, i like everything about it except leia's face it it just it, it's like the details not quite there on her face but uh, got infantino uh, mouth too yeah she does 
But uh, everything else, her her body's quite nice in this pose. <laughs> I really like it. Well, she's lost open... the first couple buttons on yeah, her shirt. Exactly. Yeah, her ripped open braless uh, shirt there. I like that. So, anyway, Joe Duffy is the writer. Cynthia Martin penciler. Art Nichols is the inker. Rick Parker lettering. M. Wrightson coloring. And Nascenti editor Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. This story is simply entitled Ty. Aboard a ship in the Nagai fleet, Den Siva, at least I'm imagining that's how his last name is pronounced, and I think this is the first time we've gotten uh, a last name for the character of Den. Den broods and contemplates a hologram of Danny, and Den has become fascinated with the Zeltron hottie who was once his prisoner and he swears that he will have her again. He is summoned to the interrogation section to assist Commander Knife, who it turns out survived being gut shot by Han Solo in that uh, out-of-order story in issue number 100. The two Nagai converse, and for the first time we learn that, along with warring with the Alliance, the Nagai have an old enemy that they actually fear. Meanwhile, Princess Leia and her Zeltron boy band entourage have uh, taken a pseudo-blockade runner out for a spin, and it's broken down over the planet Trenwith. They are forced to put down for repairs, and as they fly low looking for a landing site, they witness scenes of devastation and carnage below. The Nagai have been fighting an unknown enemy, and bodies from both sides are strewn everywhere. Upon landing... Leia goes outside to investigate and encounters a young Nagai warrior who gets the drop on her. Leia and the young Nagai seem about to fire on each other when suddenly and unexpectedly he collapses. Leia investigates and finds that he is badly wounded. Sometime later, the Nagai awakes and finds himself a prisoner of Leia and her aides. They try to communicate with him, but he doesn't speak, and Leia reaches the conclusion that he's just a grunt and probably wasn't required to learn the galactic standard language. Leia and the boys sit tight with their prisoner as the Nagai's enemies sweep the area, presumably searching for uh, survivors of the battle. The prisoner tries to flee when no one is looking, but is too gravely injured. Later... Leia and the Zeltrons eat around a small fire, and eventually Leia approaches the prisoner with a tray of food. She tries to speak with him and reassure him, but he doesn't answer or even show if he comprehends her or not. She leaves the tray and turns to go back to the fire when suddenly he is upon her, holding her in a tight stranglehold. The Zeltrons spring into action, but even injured, the Nagai is incredibly strong, and it takes all four of them to force him to release the princess. As he bucks and fights, Bob the Zeltron <laughs> grabs up a rope to bind the prisoner, and this makes him totally freak out. Tied and bound, the Nagai's entire demeanor changes. He is now reduced to a crying, whimpering boy. We are treated to a wordless flashback glimpse into his mind, where we see that he has suffered some sort of torture or degradation or something at the hands of an unknown enemy that looks an awful lot like a cross between an Orion slaver from Star Trek and Crimson Jack from way back in the very early issues of this title. Eventually, Leia cannot stand listening to his sobs anymore, and she approaches him with a nasty-looking blade. 
wide-eyed with terror, the Nagai looks up at her, but she again tries to reassure him that she simply means to, uh, to release him. She doesn't mean him any harm, and that she's even brought him a fresh plate of dinner. She frees him, and again he seizes her, but this time it's simply to show her his gratitude and relief for having been freed. A full-page montage splash shows the passage of time as the Zeltrons repair the ship, the Nagai heals, and he and Leia actually seem to form a sort of bond between them, to the point where one of the Zeltrons comments that he seems to have developed a crush on the princess. But as he heals and gains strength and earns the uneasy trust of the entire group, is he simply just biding his time? Eventually, the ship is repaired and Leia and the boys witness the unknown enemy slaughtering the last of the Nagai survivors, laughing while they do so. The group is horrified by this, commenting that the enemy, that this enemy is even worse than the Nagai, and they even feel pity for the slain Nagai warriors. We are treated to more scenes of Leia and the others biding their time until the enemy finally leaves the planet, and uh, it has become clear by this point that everybody feels a bond with the prisoner, to the point where Leia can't bring herself to treat him as such anymore. And as she and the boys prepare to leave, she releases him, telling him to shoo. He smiles at her and says, Ty, pointing to himself. That's your name, Leia asks. Ty? Ty, he says. I'm Leia, she says. He points at her and repeats, Leia. And we're treated to a really lovely and, and silent panel of Ty touching Leia's face. And we can't see the, ex- his, the expression on him, but by the look on Leia's face, we can kind of imagine that you know, he's probably smiling at her and, and silently expressing you know, his thanks. The Zeltrons give their own farewells, waving and wishing him well, and even telling him to come visit them on Zeltros as Leia glances back and Ty waves goodbye. Sometime later, presumably back aboard that ship in the Nagai fleet from the beginning of the story, Knife and Den again are conversing, and they discuss plans for an invasion of Zeltros when a guard announces Wing Leader Ty's arrival. Ty is shown in, and he gives his report. Knife compliments him on surviving the Battle of Trenwith and asks how he managed to survive. Ty reports that four civilians and an Alliance officer, who were also in hiding from the Nagai's enemies, treated his wounds, gave him shelter, and eventually, despite the war between the Alliance and the Nagai, freed him when the coast was clear. And you accepted this mercy, demands Knife? And condemning Ty as a weakling, he hurls his weapon where it plunges hilt deep into the center of Ty's chest. Ty sags to his knees, and as a horrified Den looks on, Ty dies. And that's the end of the issue. And I've got to know what you thought of this one. Had, had you read this story before? Oh yeah, I read it when it first came out. Oh okay. I think this is one of the best. This is one of the best Cynthia Martin. St- this is one of the best Star Wars stories yet. Yes. And it's like the so far it's the best Cynthia Martin, um, Joe Duffy combination this is the first full girly star wars is uh it's got 
Princess Leia's on the header. It's got a Georgia O'Keeffe vagina flower on the first page. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> the only thing that I can, the only fault I can find in this whole issue is they got the color wrong on Donnie and her hologram. They colored her flesh color, which looks kind of kind of freakish. <laughs> well, you know, it's a. But otherwise, this is a this is a great story. This is a little bit stream crossy. There's a little bit of the Star Trek element to this. Yeah. Of understanding and empathy with the enemy and stuff like that. But with that ruthless ending and it's it really works. I mean, I we joke about it being the girly Star Wars, but long live the girly Star Wars. I like that she's you know, they're like, "Okay, we can't do a lot with the characters." So they they are exploring their their psyches and their emotional bonds with other people and interactions and stuff and uh there's sh- sh- they they always put a, a there's guaranteed comedy with the five you know with their her zeltron boys that follow her around yeah but they're they're not complete bimbos you know they're they're semi useful and i like how it has the whole um you know the the Nagai are badasses, but there's you know, there's always a bigger fish type deal going on here where they introduce some some new race of badasses. I remember liking this issue, but I didn't I did not remember it being this good, this well well written and in, extremely well illustrated. It's it's always... that perfect balance of lots of detail and her sort of expressionistic. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I think she and Art Nichols are are a wonderful combination in Mm -hmm. this because, just like you said, she's very expressionistic, really doesn't put a whole lot of detail into it necessarily. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I like the minimalistic nature of her art. But then Nichols, through the nature of his inking, does go in and provide incredible detail. So you still have something that on the surface appears minimalistic, but then you look at, like, say, like page 14, that third panel of the unnamed alien guy in, yeah. in Ty's flashback. Look at the detail in that guy's cloak. I mean, it's just incredible. I, really, really fantastic. So, I mean, the art in this is just beautiful. But um, I, I, I don't want to give this one short shrift. But I got to be honest, I, I don't. I don't want to nitpick this one because I love this issue. It has long pained me that this seems to be one of the forgotten issues of Star Wars. I hardly ever hear anybody bring this one up when talking about the series or talking about you know the great single it's issues a- or the great storylines. And I do think this one, I think this one's right up there with number eighty-six and, and some of the other really great issues of this series. It, it's a powerful story that I've long held as one of my favorites because that ending is powerful. And I can remember as a kid reading this for the first time being really taken aback, like, Oh my God, you know, what an ending to this story. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and up till this point, you know, this was a, a race that had been completely despicable. You know, but this kind of follows a, a tradition of stories like this. You know, I've always been a sucker for these kind of stories, you know, where 
where you know the enemy you know is kind of given a human face or you know well, you get to see their side of things or whatever we've only really met like you know it's like world war 2 you got nazis and then you got nazi soldiers Right. You know, and Nazi soldiers could be evil bastards, but they could also be just some guy who got drafted. Right. Knows that he'll end up dead if he doesn't go along with things. And, you you know, you could cap, you, you could have a similar situation with this. But what we've met so far have been like Gestapo agents, the equivalent right. of Gestapo agents, people who are really into the, the, the evilness of the Nagai. So we've only met the really, like, truly evil people that have sort of risen to the top. And, you know, I, I like that. I like that they're like, oh, he's a soldier. He, he can't speak, you know, uh, you know, cause I'm like, all the other Nagai have been talking back and forth, no problem. And it's like, oh, no, this guy's, you know, he's not educated that far. Right. He's just a, a foot soldier. But I, I really love this issue. But rather than, than go through page per page and just gush about it, the, the best and highest praise I could give this one is go out and get it. I mean, if you don't have this one, get it. It's certainly this is been definitely one of, enough times. So. Like, if you're not going to get the whole run of Star Wars, this would be one of the you know key issues to get mm-hmm. of just great issues because it's a... It's there's continuing story going on it, but it's a nice little one one and done semi one and done story. It's self contained for the most part. Yeah. I Martin. I'm beginning to, to you know, I think that you know, this this series has been kind of maligned to begin with and people think of these last few issues as like, ah, this is when it was going downhill and lose it, you know, on its way out, but I'm starting to think I'm starting to really like think the Joe Duffy and and Cynthia Martin team might be my favorite it might end up being my favorite in in this whole run. Hmm. Out of all the great artists and writers involved in this and other great issues there's something about this it's it's that this team that's its own thing, you know. And it works, and it's Star Wars. It's its own thing. It's it's comic booky, and Star Wars. I think if they would have stuck with this, with 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 those two, we could have got some really epic stuff as it went on. You know, yeah. And it would probably have gotten acknowledged as being. Uh, uh, this could have been the if if Star Wars would have gone on another hundred issues, this might have been the turning point. Where they started becoming more of the way people view the Dark Horse Star Wars comics. Yeah, that's very true. And that's very uh, true. It's a it's a shame it never made it to that. But I uh, don't know. It's going to be interesting to find I me. Mean, we at, at this point we have four issues left, so it's going to be I, interesting to find out. But to my recollection, I've always regarded this as the last great issue. That from here it was pretty much it kind of it kind of petered out quickly. But I'm going to be very curious to find out if I, you know, when we get to the very end, if I still feel that way or, or right. if I well, find. We know how Indiana Jones has been going there with how we remember it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, But uh, I do want to point out one thing, though, real quick before we move on, that I don't think I ever caught this before reading this issue. And that's when you get to page 17 
and we get the little montage scene. Now, this is right after Leia frees Ty. You know, when when he's been bound up and he's been crying and whimpering and everything, she goes over and she cuts him loose, and he he basically collapses into her lap. And it, it's tough to tell exactly from the panel. Again, they're, they're, what I, one of the things I really loved about this team was by this time they've kind of abandoned caption boxes. So that you know what you're getting is either what the characters saying or what they're thinking, and then the art, and that's it. You're not getting you know all that exposition of you know this is what's happening and this is what this character's thinking. You have to interpret it yourself from the art. I like that with this. So the way I've always interpreted this is he's basically crying in her lap, you know, like like almost like holding her like, thank you, thank you, thank you kind of thing. That's the way I've always interpreted that scene. But you turn the page and it's the montage scene of basically the passage of time. He's healing up. He and Leia seem like they've they've got a little bond going between them. You've got the Zeltrons that are keeping an eye on the enemy, that sort of thing. That's a full-page splash montage. But right in the center of it, you have Ty's face. And the expression on his face can be interpreted so many different ways. And one of the ways that I interpreted it for the first time reading this again was he's biding his time. He's kind of, you know, he's being very clever in this. He's just waiting it out. And then what kind of reinforces that a little bit is the very first panel on the next page. One of the Zeltrons says something, and basically the entire group goes over to see what he's talking about. And so you've got Leia and the four Zeltron boys spying on the enemy. They leave Ty alone. So Ty's alone and untied, and we're looking at him as he's laying on the ground facing away from Leia and the others. And even though his eyes don't appear to be open or what, typically like in a movie or a TV show, that's the point where they're faking being asleep. You know what I mean? Waiting for, you know, now I can put my plan into action because I've lured them into a false sense of security kind of thing. I can, you know, sneak away and grab a weapon or just sneak away and get away, that sort of thing. So... Even though I knew where the story was headed because you know I've I've read it before, I liked that that I didn't really pick up before that if you didn't know where the story was headed, this is that moment in the story that could give you that sense of is he really like what he appears to be, or is he just kind of waiting them out for his opportunity to strike again, you know, kind of thing. I really liked that. It was very subtle but very, very well done. Well, he could have been waiting for his chance up until a certain point, and then I think that they were just doing that for dramatic effect. Right. But, uh, yeah. I love this issue. I, I always have. I've always thought this was one of the, the very best issues of the series. And uh, what I'm very curious about now – well, actually, that, that's a comment for the, for the next issue. But uh, there's something that occurred to me in the next issue that kind of referenced back sort of to this issue. But uh, like I said, I'll get to that when we, uh, when we get into the next issue, but that's pretty much all I've got on this one. Star Wars one Oh three. I love it. All right. So I guess we'll move on to star Wars number one Oh four. It's all you, which is all me. Um, Once again, we've got a Martin and Leia Aloha cover. 
of um, what looks like <laughs> some weird sort of laser blast at first, but then you know, once you read the story, you realize it's uh, a chandelier. It's Leia swinging on his chandelier. <laughs> but um, this is a uh, seventy-five cents, March of nineteen eighty-six. Scott and I were just getting ready to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Duffy, writer. Cynthia Martin, penciler. And I'm assuming the inker, by the way that it's written, it says, not the real Cindy, but an incredible simulation. So I'm assuming that means she's penciled and inked it. According to what I could find, Art Nichols apparently did some uncredited... Um, inking on this, but also the speculation was that she had worked on inking her own stuff with this particular issue, which is why it's got kind of weird credits for inking. And Ascentes, the editor, Glennis Oliver, colorist, Tom Orzachowski, was the letterer, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, and this one is called punnily enough, Nagais and Dolls. So apparently all the good guys and all the bad guys that we have in our story are going to Zeltros at the same exact time. Our heroes are going to have the Zeltrons join them in possibly fighting the Nagai, and the Nagai are going there to take over the world and kill people. And to complicate uh, matters, the cockroach-like Hiromi race are also planning a takeover of, of the planet. Donnie, who should be kind of happy to be visiting her home planet, is now kind of bitter and bloodthirsty after uh, the Nagai quote-unquote killed her boyfriend, Kiro, and tortured her. And as we know, Kiro's not really dead, but only Luke is the only one who knows that. Even though you would think um, Cliff would have figured that out from Luke by now. Right. Uh, But Cliff and the Hujibs do figure out that Donnie has been badly damaged by her recent experience with the Nagai. Um, the king and queen of Zeltros immediately throw a party to celebrate Luke and company's arrival, but during the festivities, Leia and Donnie are captured by Den, Donnie's Nagai torturer and creepy stalker guy. Luke, meanwhile, overhears the Hiromi plotting their um, takeover and in a sort of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi style move, allows himself to get captured so he can learn their plan and also amuse himself. So he brings... It's actually Luke and Cliff. So the Nagai come in and they make their move on the king and queen and uh, disarm Han when he tries to stop them. But meanwhile, a mysterious third party is, is sort of lurking out of the edges and bursts in on um, Luke and the Hiromi and, and declares them all prisoners and to, not to move. Dun dun dun! It looks very much from the sleeves that these are the um, enemy of the Nagai who the Nagai fear so much. Mm-hmm. Big fat burly frilly guy. This is two issues with them now, and they still have not been named. And for the life of me, I can't remember what the names. So even if I wanted to spoil it, I can't because can't. I can't remember what their what the name of that race is. But I always think of these guys as Orions because they look a lot like 
what I always imagined Orion pirates in in uh, Star Trek look like. So that's what I always think of them as is the Orions, but I don't think that's what they turn out to actually be. They they look like Renaissance festival <laughs> doors. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Ben well, Cartwright, Ben Cartwright at the Renaissance festival. They're they're like green skin hairy muds or what was that guy from Trouble with Tribbles? Oh, Joe, yeah. Cyrano Jones, like Cyrano green skin Jones. Cyrano Joneses or something. Yeah, they're they're kind of weird looking. Gosh, where to start with this one? I'm I not. Like it. I know you have things to say about this. I actually enjoyed the hell out of this issue. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just it. I think it starts off really well. I think it starts off really strong. It's uh, it, you know. I don't know, maybe it's an unfair, because what I was going to say is it starts off rather seriously, and then all of a sudden it, it descends into, like, really farce. strange comedy. Yeah, farce, especially but it's, the it's, uh, the, the title of it's a very comedy title. But, you know, flipping back through it and, and following along with your synopsis, I'm actually wrong. It's, it's, actually, it's Donnie who's kind of the serious part of the story, but the rest of it is kind of a romp. It's it's actually not very serious at all, because it starts right out on an awesome page one with, uh, you know, with Luke being surrounded by just dozens and dozens of these really gorgeous Zeltron girls all going, oh my God, it's Luke, Luke Skywalker, and they're all throwing themselves at him, which again raises the question, is Luke gay or something? Okay, I actually dropped this comic on the floor when I was reading it and laughed out loud and went, yes, yes, on this page. Because, of course, that's what we've been talking about ever since they brought the Zeltrons in. Right. Why has anybody screwed one of these Zeltrons? You know, the, the, the all the Zeltrons, whether you're female or male, the, the, the Zeltrons have someone hot for you. Whatever you want, you know. All the Zeltrons are like, you know, they're like models, and they're all really horny, and they're all really friendly. Finally, there's Lando. (laughs) (laughs) And they come up to him, and they go, do you want to be our friend too? What does Lando say? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Lando, you get the prize this issue. Absolutely. This is like the planet of the porn stars on on Star Trek: The Next Generation. They at least they knew that they could. Yeah, let's go get a let's get a deep tissue massage. You know, right? Not these. Luke is starting to. Luke looks like he's happy to get some arm candy on him. Finally, but Lando's <laughs> Lando Lando knows how to use that arm candy. He's you all can about it too. He's, yeah. he's got himself a couple of babes by the end of the issue. That's pretty awesome. But uh you know what's what's really fantastic and I don't think she gets near enough credit for it is although yes it, it is um somewhat girly now in the art and everything Cynthia Martin draws beautiful women. They they oh, look yeah. very much like uh that artist, I can, I'm never sure how to pronounce his name. Nagel is how I always pronounced it. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Back in the yeah, 80s, yeah. he was he was really big with the, you know, with the the minimalistic pictures of women that he used to draw. Yeah. If you if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, but you're familiar with say 80s Spider-Man, 
I remember that Peter Parker had a Nagel painting hanging in in his apartment, the apartment he had with like the the wire spool as a table in his room. You know that that's the picture I'm talking about. She has cheesecake for her male and female. Yes, the Star Trek as as we know, your cousin Michelle mm-hmm. was all. This was when she became an avid Star Wars comic reader. Yep, and and it, yeah. And yeah, there's eye candy for everyone now. Mm-hmm. Page four, Grunk. We get a Grunk from Chewbacca. We get a Ronk and a little rough. And apparently, our page eight has means page eight has uh, a rarf, <laughs> a rarf, rarf. And and on page eight, Chewie actually looks like a naked man with hair. Actually, it looks like he could be a naked woman. Page With some eight, extra page, hair. Page eight. Page eight. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's wrong. Well, you know what I noticed is you look at Chewie's butt, <laughs> which I'm not going to say that very often, I promise. But you look at Chewie's butt in that picture. That woman in the background looks like she's topless. Do you see oh, her? Right. There? Yeah, yeah. She's wearing some sort of leggings or something, but from yeah. from like the from like the ass cheeks up, she looks like she's naked. Which I have not a problem with. Lando has an entirely different woman on this panel too, so that's pretty. Of cool. course, he, he does. He's working his way through the crowd, buddy. He's meeting everybody. Leia has a case of pancake boobs in this issue. I noticed, which is kind of odd because up till now she'd actually usually been drawn much more buxom than she actually is in real life. Leia's being drawn actually by a woman now who understands how breasts without a bra. Sat in a dress, unlike Carmine Infantino, who drew how he would like breasts. (laughs) How I would like. Yeah, right, right. But in in this manner, Leia's Leia's got much more, you know, authentic breasts. They're acting like breasts her size would act. Right. And it's nice to know that she doesn't wear like to wear a bra. They are, I, I think the art in this is gorgeous. It's oh, yeah. got one of my favorite pages, full pages of all time. What's that? Page four. Yes, yeah. I was just going to say, go Let's back to page to hyperspace. four. That second panel is beautiful. Fuzzy, I love how got Chewy the fuzzy, looks. She's got the fuzzy dice. Fuzzy dice, yep. And, I mean, Harrison Ford looks like Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. There's there. I mean, she gets she get. There's on the next page on page five is one of the best C three POs ever. Is that's a great C three PO. Yep. And ev- everybody is all the all the um, characters are just fantastic in this. Although I I must say that. Uh... Last panel of page five, the Millennium Falcon looks like it just got assimilated by the phalanx or something. It looks kind of, kind of strange right there. But it, it's still. I, I do love the art in this issue. It's really, really good. The only thing, honestly, what it is that that brings this one down a peg for me is the Hiromi. I just don't like these guys. I, I never did. I, there's some. I didn't really get the gag with them. I, I don't know if they're intended purely as comedy, comedy relief or, or what. But if they are, then it just didn't work for me. It just fell flat somehow. 
Well, I mean, when you go to page 18, that page looks like it's from a totally different comic. Yeah. It looks like it's from one of the kiddies Star Wars. Is that the yay, yay panel? Yeah, where they're all going, yay, and and they're throwing their hats in the air. It does. It doesn't look like it belongs in this book. It looks like an issue of, like, Ewoks or something. Right, right. It really does. Right, It's, it's weird, but then you're back to, I mean, then you're back to the next page has Han drawn his blaster. That's just a great shot of mm-hmm. a classic Harrison yeah. Ford looking shot. Go way back for a moment. Back to that same panel on on page five. Something occurred to me here, and I don't want to overthink it or what, but I thought this was an interesting concept. You've got the Millennium Falcon coming down out of the sky and landing on Zeltros. Uh-huh. And there's just a Zeltron man leaning on a balcony that says, hello. He says, welcome, whoever you are. And I thought that was very cute. You know, it's very it's very Zeltron. That's how these people are. But I got to thinking, you know, a war just ended. So it gets me to wondering, how did these guys survive, you know, and, and live, you know, through the Empire and everything and still maintain, you know, this, this wonderful openness and freedom? Maybe the and, Empire and just a- never got to them. You, you know think? what I mean? Maybe they're just one of those worlds that you know, and maybe they their world wasn't very um, strategic, strategic, and didn't have resources that they wanted, so it wasn't high on the empire, you know, taking it over. That's that's as good an explanation as any. I think. I mean, there's got to be so many in in the in. The, I mean, it takes place in a galaxy. There's got to be so many different civilizations alive that the empire couldn't rule. Ever. Oh, you'd have to prioritize definitely. Right. But yeah, that that makes sense because you know we saw that with kind of with tattooing that you know tattooing feared the day that the empire was going to come knocking, but up till now they were largely ignored because they just you know they were outer rim and not really important in the grand scheme of things although or, we seem to go there every day maybe it was vacation planet for for the grand moths and stuff <laughs> right yeah and get laid for a week you know yeah. and they were like yeah we'll let it we'll let we'll let zeltron be you know that's yeah that's a good idea too no matter who well, we saw them do that let Zeltron be, you know, they might want to keep Zeltron like it has always been. Well, we saw that to a certain degree with like, say the wheel, you know, the wheel generated revenue right, for the empire. Right. So to a point they let it alone, you know, and, and didn't interfere with the operation because it was, it was beneficial to, to leave it that way. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Really. Now, do you have this as a paper issue? Yes, I do. Across from that page, you've got one of the most disturbing things I think I've ever seen. <laughs> you've got tap dancing Captain America with a top hat and cane. Well, it's it, it's a little bit like the movie. <laughs> it is, except that thank God he didn't tap dance, or I don't I don't think he. Really no, this is more like Looney Tunes. He's like yeah. this is more like yeah, this is just like he's got the spotlight on him, and this is more like hello my baby, hello my honey. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, says Cap's gonna star in a Broadway show, and maybe you can star with him. Now, I had seen this. Did before, that ever right? happen? It didn't. I, I I had seen this ad before, but I'd completely forgotten about this. So, Miracle of Miracles, I love the age we live in these days, because you can look this crap up and generally find an answer. And sure enough, 
in the Captain America Wikipedia page, there is a mention of this. It says, in 1985, a musical about Captain America was announced for Broadway. The piece, written by Mel Mandel and Norman Sachs, never actually premiered, although recordings of the score have surfaced. So, just a little mention, but I thought that was interesting, because, yeah, I do remember this ad, and I still think it's one of the goofiest things I've ever seen. I think that would have been the wrong time to... I I think you might be able to get away with a Captain America stage play now. Yeah. But, I don't know, it seems like they're barely getting away with a Spider-Man stage play. Well, did you ever see the 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 Captain America movie before the current one that, you know, the the Chris yeah. Evans one? It had um I can't remember who the star was, but I know that uh, uh Ronnie Cox was in it and um Ned Beatty. Did you see that? Parts of it. What an abortion. It man. was it was an abomination. Yeah. That was horrible. Absolutely friggin' horrible. Now, did you catch this? I don't even remember Ned Beatty having anything to do with it. I think he was a reporter or something Uh, like that. I can't remember. Yeah, I only ever saw it once and barely made it through it. Page six. At first I thought, okay, I'm just looking too close and reading too much into this. But then a moment later I was like, nope, I'm right. Page six, bottom panel. You've got the Hiromi hanging out on the bridge of their ship, which looks very much like a cross between... Well, it looks very much like the the bridge of, like say, like, kind of the Enterprise, kind of... In my dorm room. A, yeah, <laughs> like a Klingon ship, because it's very messy, very nasty. Of course, they are like cockroach creatures. And the captain's name is Captain Hooker, and it's spelled H-O-O-K-Y-R. And I thought, are they doing a riff on, like, Kirk... And TJ Hooker's kind of thing, and I thought, nah, I'm just reading too much into it. Then, when the word balloon switches from the guy who's talking to Captain Hooker to Captain Hooker talking, he says, Excellent, Mr. Takay. Mm -hmm. T A H K A Y. So I thought, nope, I'm actually catching what was intended here. You got Captain Hooker and Mr. Takay. So So I'm saying there's there's some definite Star Trek love. Going yeah. on the last couple issues. Yeah. I'm not sure how I felt about that though. I I, I guess, but I it's just well, I got like look story. out the window. Look what's hanging out, out the hanging out, out the window. A nacelle. I mean they got an enterprise yeah. engine out there. Right. Page eight, I like page eight a lot. Nothing really specific, I just I like the whole page. Because this is the old gang getting back together again. Everybody's showing up. This has a whole crew in it. Yep. Everybody's slowly making the scene. It's a giant party. You've got Luke with a couple of babes. He's got Pliff on his shoulder. Han and Leia kissing, you know. You've got, uh, you know, even Chewie there kind of doing the Chewbacca the Pimp type of thing from way back. And what was that, like, number issue, like, seven or eight or something like that? Yeah, seven or eight, yeah. Lando, a total pimp there at the bottom of the page. It's just a, it's a great page. It's one of my favorite pages of the whole issue. And Leia looks fantastic. I, I got to thinking, I bet you that uh, you could get some serious space VD on Zeltros, though, dude. Because everybody wants to screw you on this planet. Maybe they have some sort of insane immune system. That's why... <laughs> Just wipes that stuff out. That's why they've survived so because they've survived so long, you know. It's true, yeah. Maybe they've just built up an immune, a super immunity over the years. 
I like the look of the king and queen. I, I think this was a little bit... Flash Gordon? Well, I think it's a little bit pre-John Byrne Superman, but damned if the, the outfits don't look very reminiscent of, uh, of Byrne's version of Krypton. But I do think this predates that. But uh, the look is very similar. I like that a lot. And did you notice the, the panel where Den shows up? That thing in the background looks like a cross between a Minotaur, Rom the Space Knight, and a Buddha. And Buddha, yeah. It's really weird looking, because it's basically Buddha, but with cloven hooves and basically Rom's helmet. It's really weird looking. But that's definitely a... like that's a Robo-Buddha. Buddha. Yeah, it's a Buddha pose. That's Ro-Buddha. Ro-Buddha. <laughs> As far as the issue proper, I think that's pretty much it as far as my notes. I did have a couple of notes about some things that were mentioned in the letters page. Did you have anything else on this issue? No, that's about all I had. In the letters page, uh, one of the writers, uh, Patricia Klein, says, and she had kind of a long letter here, but she just said in part of it that uh, according to George Lucas... Han's parents were space gypsies who abandoned him when he was very young. And I'm thinking, what's the source of that? Because I don't remember ever hearing that before. Am I just forgetting something that he said somewhere? Do you remember ever hearing that? I don't remember ever hearing that. I I don't either, so I don't know where that comes from. And then another letter writer, uh, Philip Eckhart, calls Bay, and, and this is a direct quote, Probably one of the most complex characters ever. What? Is complex Greek for crap or something? Because base sucks, dude. There's nothing complex about him at all. He's just a shit character, so I don't know where that came from. Wait, who is Ben? I'm thinking Den. Bay was was oh, Hans Indian oh, faithful oh, Indian companion. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Nineties X Men guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy that looked like my. Like, yeah, he, it's like a poor man's forge or something. Yeah, he was crap. And we haven't seen him again. Although I do believe we do eventually see him at least one more time. Because it's odd, you know, because we learned last issue that um, knife survived. And when I when he first popped up in that story, at the very beginning of that story, I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't he dead? So I had to actually go back to issue 100 and flip back through it. And it's it's left kind of am, uh, ambiguous in the end of that story, whether he lived or died. We're never really told. It kind of looked like his his wound was fatal, but it never came right out and said one way or the other. But he was basically left... You know, gravely injured in the forest by Han with with Bay attending to him, and then we see him turn up in one hundred and three, and you know he's he's on the mend and everything. So you gotta you, you gotta kind of wonder, well, how does that work? How did he get away, and where is Bay, and all that sort of thing? So I don't know if that all gets addressed later or not. But uh, the thing I was talking about before at the end of the last issue, one hundred and three, was. Uh, See, I I had confused my characters. It wasn't until you were doing your synopsis that I realized, oh my gosh, that's right. Because you said that it's Den that comes, you know, that makes the scene and takes 
um, Danny and Leia captive, I was thinking that was Knife, but you're absolutely right. It is actually Den. But when he showed up in this story, my first thought was, is Leia going to find out what happened to Ty? Because I can't remember if she ever does. I don't think she does, but that, again, would have been a really interesting story if... Yeah, I don't she, think they would make the connection that Ty even knew her, that she was the yeah, that's person true. he was talking about. That's very true. But uh, that would have that would have been interesting one way or the other. But I, to my recollection, I don't think she ever finds out. But, but that's all I got on that one. All right. Well, I think we should take a second and come back with some Indiana Jones. Sweet. So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. For the final part of this episode, Star Wars Monthly Monday number 50, we're going to look at the further adventures of Indiana Jones number 9. Number 9 Alright, this is Indiana Jones number 9. Beautiful Chaikin and Austin cover. Howard Chaikin, that is, and Terry Austin. 60 cents it cost for this one in September of 1983. And, um... We had Archie Goodwin came up with the plot, and Dave Michelini, our buddy, wrote the script. Dan Reed did the pencils. Danny Bullinardi. Or is it just Bullinati? Bullinati, yeah. Bullinati I know, you and I, we here. always have trouble with that one, but yeah, it's Bullinati. Uh, Joe Ryden, letters. <laughs> Bob Sharon, colors. Louise Jones, editor, and Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. This one is called The Gold Goddess, Part 1. 
Zomex Raiders. <laughs> we were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. Zomek. Soltek. Indy traces the Golden Hovito Idol to Marrakesh, where he and Sala steal it back from a group of thieves who are also stealing it. If that makes any sense. Indy and Sala are chased through alleys and over rooftops before finally jumping off a building and into their getaway truck. And their two turban pursuers turn out to be a blonde mystery lady who has a grudge against Dr. Jones and would like to see him dead. And Zomek. Soltek. The face-tattooed leader of the Hovitos. Back in New York, Indy makes a dramatic entrance at a fundraiser, handing over the idol to Marcus and making out with Marion. When Marcus goes to put the idol in its display, a replica of the temple it was found in at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, he is greeted by Zelmec, Soltek, and some goons who take the <laughs> idol and flee, taking pot shots at some reporters in the meantime. Indy hears a trouble and heads out to the ledge of the building where the Hovitos are escaping. He tangles with two of Zomek's Soltek lackeys and sends one tumbling to his death, but the other one knocks Indy down to where he's hanging by his fingertips from the ledge. Then he starts crashing his fingers under his foot. End of part one. This one was a uh, a fairly simple story, a fairly quick read, and yeah. it's weird because by the time you get to the end of the issue and the and the little um, you know literally a cliffhanger here, he's hanging off the side of a building. Mm-hmm. It, it it was like, holy cow, is that a fast read? It almost reads like this is going to be the the first chapter of not only a, a two parter but a multi chapter story. As it turns out, I don't think it is. I think this is only a two-parter, but uh, you know, there, there's definitely a, a lot, lot of, of the action. Story is chase and action. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happens, but it's not exactly like a meaty story either. But I always like this issue a lot, despite the fact that you know, you pointed out that this is Chaykin and Austin, who we were gushing about last time around. You know, that cover to issue eight, one of my favorite, maybe possibly my favorite cover of the entire series, but definitely one of my favorites. Yet I've never liked this one. Here it is the same exact team. I I just never really cared for this cover because he doesn't he doesn't look like Indiana Jones to me. This looks like I don't like James Bond or something. I I just don't think he's in a suit. He's in a suit. He's clean shaven. He's not. Yeah, it it looks like a typical chicken face. That's the problem. He, He looks like he could be. You know, the Shadow or Rick Flag or whatever that guy, American Flag or whatever. American you know. Flag, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't look at all like uh like a Harrison Ford character to me. That's not the it's not really a harsh criticism, it's just not one of my favorite covers. But uh This is the second issue in a, in in our coverage of the three comics this year the the, the or this year, this um episode where the first page is features a vagina. 
leave it to you to point that out. You're right, though. You're right. But it's, it's, that, it's I like how it starts out with the little header. You know, it's just a little Indiana Jones adventure. It's got the idol there. And it's not detailed, but if you saw the detail, the detailed picture of that idol is a, is a fertility idol. The woman's right. squeezing a baby out right. graphically, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> they do mention that in here, though, too, that uh, I, I think it's Zomek that says it, that that is actually their fertility goddess. And uh, I, I was amused by that because I think it was you that actually pointed out to me that the that the thing was, was a female. I never really... I guess I never really paid that close of attention to it before. You know, the the giant head and the and the grinny like face on that thing is is the predominant what, feature. What so, gets your attention? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I never really paid attention to the fact that no, it's actually a, a female figure doing what you said and it's in childbirth. Yeah, yeah. It's disturbing. <laughs> what I like about this is the caption box at the very beginning of the story is exactly why. I really like this issue because it, it, it explains everything about it. It says Marrakesh. It says Northwest Africa. Some weeks ago, Indiana Jones had postulated that this was the only place his arch rival, Rene Belloc, uh, could sell the uh, blah, blah, blah. I cannot pronounce this word. Idol. Uh, he had stolen from Indy in Peru. Now Professor Jones will learn if he was right. That's awesome because it's essentially telling you, look, we took a little tiny snippet of dialogue from Raiders and expanded it into this story. I think that's really cool. I think it's Chanchanichan. Is that what it says? Chanchanichan. Chachapoyan? Chachapoyan? C-H-A-C-H-A. So that's Chacha. And then P-O-Y-A-N. Poyan? Poyan? Chachapoyan. Chachapoyan. Idol. Okay. I guess I can pronounce it. I smart. That sounds like a blonde um, singer from the 50s with big boobs. Chachapoyan. I am Chachapoyan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love it. It tells you what's going on, and then, boom, Indian Sala in the middle of an adventure. Just It just starts, you know? These issues we've covered so far are making me feel like I must have been shallow as a kid mm -hmm. art wise because I think the art was my hang up because there's definitely not a hang up with the story the story's fun the story moves it's uh you know it's it's David Michelin he doesn't doing what he does best he's really good with the action piece and he and he captures the characters he, oh, he yeah. like Salah's breaking into song and you know but and I, go, and at the point where they're in the truck and he goes, you know, Indy, I love this life. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is great. You know, that that's a great little just detail added to the story, you know, character detail that you didn't need to add in there. And it was just ingenious. I thought it was a great it was very Sala. But I, I think with this particular story, I think my criticism would have been back then would have been the art. It's not my art of choice, and I think the, some of the coloring decisions are a little odd. Uh, it still has that kind of coloring book style of coloring to it that irritates mm -hmm. me with a lot of comics where they use a lot of just every, every you know, this one object is all going to be one color, and this object is going to be another color, and the floor is going to be this one color. So it's not very imaginative with the coloring or the shading or anything like that. But that's not really a criticism of the art. That should be a criticism of simply the coloring, but it affects the art. 
And, uh, you know, because Bolinati, eh, he's, he's pretty good, but he's not one of my favorites. Dan Reed, not really all that familiar. So the combination of the two of them, not really a team that, you know, I would, I would say is one of my favorites, but looking at it again with fresh eyes, I mean, not that it's bad not at all. bad. No, I mean, I really like, um, damn it. The pages aren't numbered, but I like the sequence where he busts out, you know, Indy busts out of the room and he's being pursued down the street by the sedan that's intent on running him down. Mm-hmm. I mean, a really good picture there of him running. It actually reminds me a little bit of the six, beginning of the Six Million Dollar Man where he's running down the street with a car chasing him. But then he gets to a dead end and does one of the things I love most about Indiana Jones. He whips out his whip, lasts, uh, you know, lashes himself to a drain pipe and starts climbing out. It's just fantastic. I mean, really good action pieces. I know that when I was a kid, one of my big criticisms of this is that Sala doesn't look a thing like Sala, but I understand now as an adult, that's not really a valid criticism because I don't think they had the the likeness rights for this. So mm-hmm. I, I think they did the best they could to make him Sala-esque, but they, they didn't have permission to make him look like, uh, what's that guy's name, John Rice Davies? Right, right. But uh, I... But you they- know, I'm you know, sorry. Big burly guy with a beard and, and turban. <laughs> yep. You know. Do you notice Indy loses his hat almost immediately in this story? Mm-hmm. And I don't think he goes back for it either. So this is what this at least the second time in this series that Indy lost his hat in pretty much an ir- irretrievable way. So he's definitely going through some hats going through some hats yeah he's, he's not he's not maintaining the same hat throughout the series which i always kind of had the impression in the movies he actually was that it is actually the same hat start to finish although you could argue the one in raiders may not be i'm not sure because he in the comic book adaptation he does comment when he's lashed himself to the uh the nazi sub that uh, I well I guess I lost my hat forever or something to that effect so I don't know but see in the movie itself I would always no prize that as he left his hat behind on Katanga's ship so you know but uh, that's really that's about all I got on this one um, I did like this quite a bit and uh, I liked really most of my comments come from the the letter column because there was again there was some interesting letters here someone had uh, commented on the fact that even though this was a Marvel comic, you know, to, to basically... It's funny because the early issue of Star Wars had the same type of thing in it. I remember us commenting on it. Somebody wrote in saying that, you know, yeah, I realize that this is Marvel publishing this title, but please don't put your characters into the story. And someone here is essentially saying the same thing. You know, I love your books, but, you know, let, let's keep the Marvel characters out of Indiana Jones. And uh, while I probably would have agreed with that sentiment as a kid, and I still do now, still, now that, you know, Marvel and, and, and Lucasfilm and everything all, you know, are owned by the same entity, I'd love to see uh, an indie um, Captain America crossover, like a World War II era story with Indiana, uh, Indiana Jones and Captain America. I think that'd be pretty cool, actually. I don't know if that would work. Uh, I don't know. I, I could. I would get a kick out of that. I think that could be a lot of fun. You know, not, nothing that would be taken too seriously or, or be put into any like official canon or whatever. But just for fun. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. I think that could be interesting. And for the first time in the letters column, um, the sequel, which actually turns out to be a prequel, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is named by name uh, coming out in 1984. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. Because I wondered at what point, you know, what, what issues we got up to in this series before, uh, you know, we started to see any sort of mention or anything of, uh, of Temple of Doom. And Temple of Doom, to my recollection, doesn't have a lot of impact on this title, but I do remember that at some point, and I have no idea what issue it was, but at some point we do get um, a character from Temple of Doom pops up in this title. And I'll leave that to, uh, to you guys to wonder what character that'll be when that character shows up. But that's pretty much all I got on this one. I, I dug it. I thought it was pretty good. The art, I thought, was, you know, it took a little bit of a step down. But uh, but I, I did. I, I dug the story. But I will tell you this, and I know this is a little bit spoilerific. I won't tell you exactly how it happens because I don't want to be too spoilery. And I'm looking forward to pointing it out next issue or, you know, next episode. But in the next issue of this has one of the most implausible Indiana Jones saves in Indiana any Indiana Jones story I've ever seen or read. So I'm looking forward to pointing that out when we get there because it's one of those like, no way, that's friggin' impossible. So I, that'll be fun when we get there because I actually cheated and read ahead on this story because I liked it so much. Well, the one thing I got on this is, you know, Indiana Jones is kind of an asshole. He's no better than Belloc, to tell you the truth. Those Hovitos, that's their idol. Right. They want it back. What is his problem with that? He's stealing it from the... It's not an abandoned thing. There's a people who own that. He's stealing it. And when they come and they steal it back from Marcus, Marcus sits there and tells them they're horrible. He's yes. like, I'm just going to tell you, you're horrible people. Why? For coming and getting their idol back? No, they're, they're, they're honorable, aren't they? And how the hell did they navigate all the way from, did they ride the subway in their Hovito gear with their spears <laughs> to go to that, that you know, um, fundraiser? They went to the Hovito airport and booked a flight. Exactly. You know, they're running around and like, right, they're out, they're barefoot. They're right out of the jungle, you know, they're in there. Right. So that was a little bizarre. That, but yeah, that, I, the the whole thing of like Indiana Jones has no right to be taking this idol, you know, it, it's almost back into the right hands. He should let it be, but no, he he insists that it's that it belongs in the in the museum for some reason. That's a good point. I hadn't. It's funny because while I didn't really put that together with Indy, the moment you talked about with. Um, Marcus. I almost called him Denholm Elliott. That's the actor's name. Yeah, with Marcus. Definitely did strike me because you're right. He basically says, you know. How dare you want what we stole from you back? Yeah. Yeah, what does he say here? He says, uh, I must say, Mr. Zomek, even at the risk of my life, that you are a thoroughly despicable fellow. It's like, why? I just traveled like 3,000 miles to come get my God back. Really? Right. I'm I'm the jerk here. 
My people think they're never going to be able to have a baby again until this is back in its temple, which we worked so hard to maintain those booby traps on. Those booby traps are there for a reason, jerk. Those giant, those giant rolling boulders are expensive, dude. It takes forty-five young Havito men to roll that thing back up into the thing and and reset it. Takes three days to reset that shit. Do you want to go back and reset it, old man? I don't think so. Now, Jeez. do you know who the blonde turns out to be? No. That's going to be very interesting when we uh, when we get there. I'm dying for your reaction for the reveal of... Yeah, I'm not, I haven't read ahead yet. You know what? That, that reminds me. See, I can't spoil who she is, but I will mention this, something that should have been mentioned a long time ago. A friend of ours does a show... He, do, he actually does a couple of shows now related to what we're covering on this show. He's got a couple of podcasts. One is called uh, Star Wars in Character, in which he just looks at uh, some of the more obscure characters of the Star Wars saga and, and really goes in depth in his show explaining basically who these people are. But he's just sp- started up kind of a spinoff of that called uh i think it's called indiana jones in character isn't it? i believe that's the name of the show and it's doing essentially the same thing in the indiana jones universe um just focusing you know each episode on a different character um from the indiana jones universe and really expanding on on them and who they are and everything and i'll just say this a recent a very recent episode that he did of that show focused on a character who ends up having a tie to uh to this woman so i thought that was actually pretty cool and that's that's why i wanted to mention because huh. i'm wondering now i haven't heard that episode yet i saw it when he posted it up on facebook but i haven't had a chance to listen to it i'm wondering if i listen to that episode will it mention the connection with that character and this blonde woman. I'm, I'm really curious if, uh, if he goes that far and goes that in depth with uh, his examinations of the characters, or if he just pretty much sticks to the movies, know, movie continuity type of thing. And, and, you know, whatever other source material he's using for that show, but, uh, you know, give him a listen and, uh, and let Matt know that we sent you. That's pretty much all I got for this time. What else you got on this one? Anything? That's about all I got. Cool. So next time around, we'll be looking at uh, Star Wars. Let's see. We're uh, wow. We're uh, we're at the penultimate. 105 and 106. 105 and 106. We are at the penultimate uh, episode for the end of uh, Marvel Comics Star Wars with those issues. So wow. We'll have some cleanup annual. So right. It yes. Be, it won't be all over, but it'll be pretty much over. Yep. The, uh, the 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 series proper will end for us with uh, with 107, you know, which was the last issue of the series. But yeah, as as Chris says, we're going to also look at you know we we did skip over the first two annuals, so we will go back and examine them, and uh, we'll also look at the stories that were um, you know the part of Marvel UK Star Wars, which. Uh, for the longest time, we're pretty much exclusive to Marvel UK, and uh, only recently have become, you know, largely available. I think there's still, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think there's still one story that still remains unreprinted at this point. But uh, 
you know, we'll be looking at that stuff too. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we'll look at the uh, the conclusion of this particular. So we'll be looking at uh, further adventures of Indiana Jones number ten, which will wrap this story up and uh, kind of pave the way for uh, one of my favorite stories of uh, of the series for uh, further adventures. So that'll be next time around. You got anything else? No. No. All right. We'll see you later. All right. Get out of here. <laughs> Get off from my space lawn. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Dolph Dietrich as Valerie Bertinelli and Ted Wass star in the romantic comedy... I was a mail-order bride. Next following news break. podcast listener do you like ready to form Voltron or maybe how about or this is a job for Superman do you remember Power Rangers or this right away Michael or maybe even this Autobots transform or this 
by the power of Grayskull. Or... For the honors of Grayskull. Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's GeekCast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where, currently, I'm covering Grant Morrison's run on JLA, one storyline at a time. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, hopefully... Soul tech.